Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. Business. It's her own business. It's not your business. <laughs> it's not Gauguin's business. Um, it's her own. Um, um. In this episode, curator Dorothy Price outlines the figures of Claudette Johnson, a founder member of the Black British Arts Movement and one of the first post-colonials practicing in Wolverhampton, Birmingham, and the Midlands from the 1980s to now. My name is Professor Dorothy Price. I am Professor of Modern and Contemporary Art and Critical Race Art History at the Courtauld, and I am co-curator with my colleague, Dr Barnaby Wright, of this exhibition, Claudette Johnson Presence. And we're in these small rooms, but surrounded by ever so slightly larger-than-life figures. They reflect the status of their maker, Claudette Johnson, a founding member of the Black British Arts Movement in the 80s, a group of politically charged artists who Stuart Hall called the first post-colonials. Claudette came to prominence as an art student in Wolverhampton Polytechnic as part of the newly formed Black Art Group. Who were they and how did she contribute to this wider movement? The Black Arts Movement, as it became known, or the Black Art Group, as it became known, was really founded by Eddie Chambers. Um, and he and Keith Piper and a few others had an exhibition, actually, at Wolverhampton Art Gallery in uh, 1981. And Claudette, as a young art student, went to go and see their exhibition and was really intrigued by it, obviously, because there was very little in the public domain, really, um, representing black artists at that time. And then Eddie Chambers was invited to Wolverhampton Polytechnic to give a lecture about his work and the exhibition. And after that lecture, Claudette and he got talking, and that's when he invited her to join the early iteration of what later became the black arts movement. And that included members Wendell Leslie, Marlene Smith... Um, also foundational and then other artists joined them as well and then it was during the meetings of this group that they decided that they needed to have a conference bringing all the new uh, students of colour in art schools together um, and just to see what was out there and who was working because quite often there was just an individual student of colour on a particular course and so they were working in isolation so it was very important that they could bring more people together to talk about the idea of what black art was or is Uh, and so they decided to hold the first National Black Art Convention in 1982 um, at Wolverhampton Polytechnic as it was then. And Claudette was also part of the first Wolverhampton Young Black Artist Group which predated and perhaps we should consider as an alternative to the YBAs. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of her contemporaries there like Eddie Chambers, Keith Piper who we spoke about in our episode on the Black Atlantic. Also that first National Black Arts Conference in 1982 in Wolverhampton where Claudette gave Gave a key presentation. Can you tell me about that speech in particular and how it connects with the theme of this exhibition, Presence or Presences? She's a very sure and confident but quietly spoken artist, but she knows her own mind very strongly. And she was giving a talk in the main forum of the conference and she showed some work on sort of slides by Velasquez and Manet and then she showed her own work and she was trying to talk about how her work places the black female figure front and centre of her practice in a way that within the tradition and histories of Western modernism, if they're included at all, black women, they're as attendants or servants, say, for example, like Laurie in the back of Manet's Olympia. 
Claudette was trying to sort of basically insert herself into a canon, but also change that canon whilst doing so. And there's a recording of the whole talk. She was interrupted by an unknown male voice in the audience who said they didn't see a difference between what she was doing and what Manet, Velasquez, etc. were doing. And so then Claudette tried to articulate again how her work was different and a kind of uproar broke out basically and she was sort of closed down it was time to break for lunch there had already been a pre-arranged decision to have some studio breakout groups so it was then suggested that all the women in the room who wanted to continue the conversation with Claudette did so upstairs in her studio and that was a really kind of momentous moment in the history of the black arts movement uh, Lubaina Himid, Sonia Boyd Ingrid Pollard and others gathered in Claudette's studio and they shared work. They handed around these little ectochrome colour images of their work and they really connected over shared concerns around how to make themselves and their work visible in a climate in Britain in the 1980s that was hostile to black British subjectivity. Um, and so they were kind of, you know, at the beginnings of their careers. They kept in touch and then they started exhibiting together as well. And some of those exhibitions in London were at the Africa Centre, the Battersea Arts Centre, and in 1985, the Institute of Contemporary Arts with the Thin Black Line, a group exhibition led by Lubaina Himid. There are amazing archive interviews from that time, people who were there who talk about seeing the sea of black people attending these exhibitions, not conventional audiences. Can you talk about the community of black women at the time as artists supporting one another and how they were able to make art more inclusive more widely? One of the really kind of radical things that they were doing at this point is understanding that the art world as it was constituted excluded them and yet they were artists and yet they were makers and so they were really radical in actually finding spaces that wouldn't exclude them and they fought for these spaces and what's interesting about the ICA Thin Black Line show which is now we know you know a really kind of pivotal moment in history of British art. Lubaina asked for a show at the ICA and she was given the corridor space. Lots of people at the time, lots of critics of colour at the time were saying you know, oh, we have to make do with the corridor but I think what was great about what she did, Lubaina, for all the women who she was working with although she understood what she was being given, she made the most of it and she filled those spaces with works. Again, Shooter Biswas, Claudette Johnson, Marlene Smith, Sonia Boyce and there was an energy and a recognition that change needed to happen and they were willing to put the effort in to make the change. Unfortunately, the art world was not ready to hear. And you talked about taking up space. We're surrounded by these huge works of predominantly women, at the same time both intimate and incredibly powerful. They span 30 years of her practice, and we see changes, experimentations, but also recurrent motifs over the time. Right now, when looking at I Have My Own Business in the Skin from 1982, it's bright with colour, abstract, and even cubist in some of its elements, and it's clearly engaging with African masks and sculptures, and the traditions of primitivism we normally associate with Pablo Picasso. Can you talk about Claudette's complex identity and position as a black European artist of African and Caribbean descent? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Claudette was born in 1959 in Manchester. Her parents were kind of first Windrush generation. All she knew was a British experience as a black woman. And, you know, growing up and as a student in the 80s, there was yet to be a reckoning 
happening in British culture with accommodating the first generation of artists who were born in this country, who only knew this country, who, for all intents and purposes, in their own minds were British and yet so different from constructions of Britishness at the time. So navigating those identities was really, really tricky. And one of the things, if you wanted to be an artist, was, you know, you would go to art school in the way that Claudette did. And all the kind of history lessons, the contextual studies, was all about white European modernism, of course, which is premised upon colonial extraction through um, African objects that, you know, were exhibited in the Trocadero in Paris that Picasso went to see and radicalised his own practice, a way of responding to the sort of stranglehold of classicism. And so he reinvented the figure, but in order for him to do that, he had to be liberated in what he saw as a different way of making that he could find in African sculpture. And of course, that whole sort of sense of primitivism that Western modernism is premised on is a colonialist one. And so if you're a post-colonial black British artist and you're looking at these histories of modernism and these are the ones that your tutors are telling you to emulate or copy or admire, it makes a really uncomfortable position for you because, you know, there's a power relationship. And so Claudette is really interested in interrogating those, turning them on their head, reinventing a role and a place and a space for black women that isn't dependent upon a position of subservience within those power relationships, but actually a position of control or a position of being on its own terms. We're really pleased to have been able to bring Claudette's work to the court because she has always um, spoken about her relationship with modernism as her sort of art school education and upbringing. Um, And of course, the works in the court are the works that she's always admired and had uncomfortable relationships with. And it's a kind of jewel-edged tension. It's a sort of admiration of, you know, everything they achieved aesthetically, but also where her own position can be. Just outside the space here, we have Gauguin's Nevermore, a reclining female nude figure. It's from 1887, and it was painted while he was in Tahiti, and Tahiti at the time was a French colony. Gauguin's work is absolutely embedded in French colonialism, gendered power relations and um, you know, structural inequalities between colonial powers and the colonised. You know, in contemporary terms, he had relationships with underaged girls from Tahiti, and those are the people who uh, model in his works. And, you know, they're troubling and difficult and beautiful all at once. And I think that tension, again, the kind of aesthetic beauty but the troubling politics, is at the heart of what Claudette is kind of exploring and investigating. Her women are upright and they fill their space and the ones where she is painted them naked are interestingly from her imagination, not from models. And they're her way of reclaiming a space for black female sexuality and a relationship with European modernism, um, say in the work And I Have My Own Business in This Skin, is very much reclaiming you know, her own business. It's her own business, it's not your business. <laughs> it's not Gauguin's business, um, it's her own. She's making space for enjoyment of black female sexuality as well, I think. In the first room, there's a drawing loaned from Wolverhampton Art Gallery and also three paintings produced by the artist for her degree show in Wolverhampton when she was just 23 years old. In another episode of Empire Lines with Johnny Pitts, we talked about how there's quite a contemporary Brixtonization, if you will, of the singular black experience. 
but we're talking about artists here who are practicing in Wolverhampton, in Birmingham. These are central nodes of black communities in the 80s and the 90s. Dorothy, both you and I are from the West Midlands. We have a personal connection. But can you tell me about the artistic connections between these different cities, London, Birmingham, Manchester? How are these different cities and communities connected to each other and connected to London? Mm. People coming over from the Caribbean didn't just stay in London. They migrated. They went to Bristol, they went to Birmingham, they went to Manchester, they went to Liverpool, they went to Leeds. And so very strong, vibrant, both South Asian and Afro-Caribbean communities really were established in all of these cities because these are kind of part of the kind of industrial heritage. Um, and so these were towns where there was work and where there were opportunities also, it was believed, I think that's really interesting, this issue of the Brixtonisation of the black British experience through kind of popular media, I guess, mainly. But actually, if we look at the cultural scene and the art scene, I mean, the black British arts movement was born in Wolverhampton and it drew on artists who were studying in Birmingham, in Wolverhampton and in Coventry as well. So Keith Piper was studying at Coventry at the time. And Eddie Chambers spent some time in Bristol and he set up his archive there. And then in Liverpool, you had someone like Chyla Kamaru Berman, And, of course, Claudette herself was born and brought up in Manchester. Um, And I think the London connection comes because, obviously, when they all graduate from art school, most young art students go to London because London is, you know, (laughs) mythologically the place where, you you know, pavement's paved with gold. If you're going to make it in the art world, you go to London to get noticed by the critics. And, of course, Damien Hirst, etc., come along. Suddenly, all the focus is on them as the dynamics of the new kind of cool Britannia, if you like. Um, And so all of that energy and passion from the British Black Arts Movement kind of gets eclipsed by the YBAs. And a lot of them get really disillusioned by that and so stop exhibiting for a little while. Jobs come along and teaching, etc. And life takes over as it does. It's very heartening that a lot of them are getting attention now, as they quite rightly should, but they should have had it 30 years ago, really. Yes, and the exhibition takes us to paintings produced in the last five years when Lubaina Himid encouraged Claudette to exhibit again in a group exhibition in 2015. This show is incredible in that it connects the historic and the contemporary influence in her practice. But many artists from this period, as you mentioned, have quite ambiguous relationships with their older works being displayed now. Again, in part because of this being a belated recognition, but also because personally they might not feel like these works are relevant or speak to the moment that they're being displayed in. I know that you worked very closely with the artist on curating this exhibition. I wonder how do they feel about showing these works all together? Yes, it's really interesting. So my initial thinking was all, she's made such brilliant new work recently. Let's focus on that so that she's not ghettoised into the 1980s. But actually, what was really interesting to me and, and the discussions that unfolded with Claudette was just how important some of those early works actually are to her, not because of their political moment, although that is part of it, but also because they offer a sense of lineage and trajectory across her practice. So those two early works, and I have my own business in the skin, and I came to dance, are really, really central to Claudette's continuing interest in movement, motion, dance, linearity, black presence. And those were the works where she was first working those things out, thinking about how black women can take up space. 
And that is very, very central to work. And then the early kind of trilogy work, the central panel from trilogy, is a marked difference from those two earlier abstract works. And it's a work that's from a model, whereas the other two works are from her imagination. Uh, and between them, all of those works have elements that she carries on into her recent practice. And her most recent work, Blues Dance, which was a work she painted this year for this exhibition, has a very strong relationship back to And I Came to Dance. Um, and it's a sort of full circle, in a sense, for her. So it became really important that this origin moment, not just for the politics, but also for her practice, was shown in relation to where her work is, is going now. I'm glad you used the word lineage because it certainly feels like there's a generational quality to this exhibition too. This is her first public monographic show in London, but we've mentioned some of those historic and contemporary group exhibitions that she's been part of. And you can see her work now on permanent display in the Tate Britain too. There are many artists that we've spoken about on the podcast, including Hervin Anderson, Barbara Walker... Again, West Midlands-based artists, but from the 1990s onwards, who also give their individual subjects a monumentality. In the book, even, there are conversations with contemporaries like Lubaina, Himid, Sonia Boyce, Ingrid Pollard that you mentioned. Given the fact that community, that collaboration in some respects, is so important to her practice, what does having a solo exhibition mean for the artist? All artists like a monographic show, however much they work in collaboration with others, because a monographic show allows their own practice to shine. So you can have a sort of relationship with your peers and have an energy about group practice and group exhibitions, but to have your own distinct voice have a bigger platform is what a monographic show can give to an artist. Claudette is such an important artist within the histories of British art... Right, not just black British art, but British art. And she hasn't really yet had her full recognition amongst a wider public. She has lots and lots of supporters, followers and adorers, about people who know her and know her work already. But there's a wider public out there who we felt would benefit from learning more about Claudette and her practice. Her other monographic show in London was at her commercial gallery, Hollybush Gardens. Having it in a public space brings a whole new set to potential audiences that would otherwise not have encountered her work. And it's a privilege to get to stand amongst these works today and talk to you, Dorothy. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Fantastic. I mean, I have a hundred more questions, but we're not going to go back. Claudette Johnson, Presence, runs at the Courtauld Gallery in London until the 14th of January 2024. For more, you can read my article. You'll find all the links in the episode notes. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I like to use the word key or major rather than seminal because I find seminal such a gendered term. Um. <laughs>